0: All right, we're going to jump into our, our series today. If you didn't know, and that's okay if you didn't, a lot of us are new to this game. Today is what's called Palm Sunday. And the reason it's called Palm Sunday is because when Jesus was heading toward the cross, the Bible predicts, and the Old Testament prophets, thousands of years before it ever happened, predicted that the Savior would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey that had never been ridden. And that's what's happening. The Bible says as he came into Jerusalem... The reason they call it Palm Sunday is they had palm branches, and they waved him, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. In other words, our Savior's coming. The Messiah is here. Now, in their mind, they thought he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. At the same time they waved him, people were laying him down in front of the donkey, and the donkey was walking across them. That's why they call it Palm Sunday, and it's what we, what we hear. Some people call it Passion Week or, or Holy Week, and I want to give you one thing. Our friends over at First Methodist are gracious to hope host this every year. Um, They're Holy Week services at noon, and they provide you lunch. And I want us to support them. If you, if you can come, show up Monday. They have it Monday through Friday um, at First Methodist. And uh, they have a short one-hour service which within, the, within the lunch hour. They give you a quick lunch, and they give you a devotional, a message. Um, and it's just a great way to kind of build us up to Good Friday and, in, and into Easter. So go check that out. There's information on, on their Facebook, and I think ours as well. If not, we'll make sure it's there. All right, let me give you the verse. This is what we've been hanging our, hanging our hat on for this series closer, leading us up to Easter. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come close to God, and say this with me, and He will come close to Let's try that again. And He will come close to Who takes the step? Who takes the step? Both of us. See, it's not just me. What we do is, is, is respond to God. The Bible says when you come closer, I truly believe He's already pursuing you. All you're doing is stopping and turning around. No matter where you run, no matter where you go, the Bible says He's pursuing you. And we're going to do part three of our series here, except we're gonna, I'm going to throw you a curveball today because we've been doing the last two weeks on God's close moments with, or Jesus' close moments with the disciples, His inner circle. A few weeks ago, I had somebody ask me, well, yeah, he, he, he was close to those guys, but who else was he close to? Because if you think about us in the church here, maybe you're watching online, God's close to us, but is he close to the person that's still in bed hungover this morning? Is he close to the, to the girl or the, the lady who is, feels like she just has no hope and is never even thought about coming to church? The people on the outside... Well, I want to show you that he definitely is. Today is not, we're going to talk about somebody's close moment getting closer to God that uh, is not in Jesus' inner circle of disciples. Now, what I'm going to tell you, the story I'm going to tell you takes place. If you know the story of Jesus going to the cross, they come and get him in the garden. They take him and put him on what was really an illegal trial. That's when Peter denies him. Then they take him from the trial and get him to. Then they end up really. The world says he was beaten, but he wasn't beaten. He was tortured. The Romans had perfected torture. The Roman, the Roman kingdom, they had gotten good at getting as much pain out of you as they could without killing you. Because killing you was, would be against their law. So they, they perfected beating you and, and torturing you. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a guy named Simon. In the Bible, he's listed as Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is modern-day Libya. And the reason this is important is because in the time, there were basically pockets of Jews who had spread out all over the earth. And they all came back to Jerusalem to try to honor the law and honor Passover. So that's what Simon would have been doing in Jerusalem. He's mentioned, this story is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But nowhere else in the Bible, and he's never mentioned again. But all these Jews were making pilgrimage to Passover. So let me give you a picture of how Simon met Jesus. Jesus, again, had been through a trial. He had been beaten. Most people think in the movies they show him in a loincloth, but a lot of people think he didn't have anything on. But the Bible says that Mary, his mother, he was so beaten that he was unrecognizable. So they're walking what is about a half mile from where the trial was to the what's called Galgotha, or some places interpret that the skull. It was where the Romans executed people. And, and they took Simon, who was probably just passing through. Odds are he didn't know anything about Jesus. Most people would think, most theologians think that Simon was just a good Jew, following along, trying to, trying to do right. Anybody can identify with that? I'm just trying to do right, just trying to do what God asked me to do. I'm just trying to get to Jerusalem and I gotta get home. Well, it doesn't say whether he was coming or going, but Jerusalem would have been packed with people. It would have been like some of y'all crazy people went to Disney World last week, like during Spring Break. I don't know what y'all are thinking. It's like, master, or right now, it's like everybody, let's all go, go to the Masters right now. Like even the people in Augusta all leave, right? Because it's crazy, but Jerusalem would have been like that. So imagine you're in all that mess. And suddenly the Roman soldiers grabbed Simon and they pulled him out and threw him to Jesus and took the cross off of Jesus and put him on Simon and said, carry this. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't have anything to do with it. It was just him being pulled out. Look what the Bible says in in Mark 15, 21. This is when Simon was mentioned. A passerby named Simon from Cyrene, who was coming from the countryside. So in that case, he's coming in. Grabbed him, and then the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They grabbed him and and took him and put him face to face. Now, it's graphic, but I want you to go there in your mind. That you're you're in Augusta at the the Masters. All those thousands of people and, and those soldiers, those security guards, pluck one person out and throw you out in front of everybody next to this guy who, as far as he knew, was a criminal, was a heretic, who was bleeding and bloody from head to toe and says, here, carry this for him. All of us would have said, no thank you, right? Now, I'm not getting in the middle of this. I don't know what y'all are doing, but that guy obviously can't be a good guy because look how crazy these people are because the people in Jerusalem, the Jews were the ones screaming, remember? Crucify him when they had a chance to let him go. And they said, no, 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 give us the criminal, and we want you to send Jesus to the cross. And I think there's plenty for us if we'll just look at this for a minute. I'm going to give you some things that we can take away from this. But I want to give you some things, this, of Simon. Again, Simon of Cyrene, he's never again mentioned in the Bible. And it poses some questions to me that I just prayed over this week and thought if I could ask him, these are some things what I, could, what I would ask him is, what else did he witness? Did Simon stay through the whole crucifixion? Or once they took it, off, took it off of him and then began to put it in the ground or prepared Jesus to put on it, then put it up, did he stick around? Or did he was like, oh, thank God, they cut me loose, I'm out. Because most of us would have been what? We'd have been out. We'd have been rolling. I'm heading back to the countryside. So we're heading back to Scriven. We're out of here. And I'm not sticking around for this. Did he see Jesus' resurrection? He carried the cross to the place where Jesus would be crucified, but did he see Jesus again in town? Was he there the 3 days later? The Bible doesn't tell us. And then this is an interesting one. Did he share his story? Hey, they grabbed me, they made me carry this guy's cross. I didn't know who this guy was, who this guy was, but now this guy was the Messiah. That was Jesus. The guy who died for my sin, did he he tell his story? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. But I bet you Simon was asking some questions as this was going on. I bet you he was asking this, what did I do to deserve this? Anybody ever had something bad happen to you and you asked that same question? I'm the only one, really? I've been very honest over the years. With my daughter, Emma, I asked that question for, for several weeks at least. I was angry with God. Like, what did, what did I do to deserve? It was very selfish of me because, like, it was about me. But what, God, come on. I don't want to carry this. Simon was minding his own business, just, trying again, trying to do right. Why me? Why my life? Why does it find me? Anybody, let me ask you this question. Anybody feel like trouble finds you? like you get up in the morning, you get out of bed, and there it is. Sad to say, but it's part of the world we live in. Job, who if anybody should be complaining, why do I deserve this? In the book of Job, it says, but evil does not spring from the soil. It doesn't just grow out of the earth. It doesn't grow out of the ground. It says people are born for what? Trouble. Somebody asked me not too long ago... Um, what would make being a pastor and running a church the easiest? And I told him, I said, you're not going to like my answer. I said, oh, no, I can take it. I said, no, really, you're not. I said, if I could just get rid of people, we'd be great. If I didn't have to deal with people, even myself. Why? Because the Bible, unless until you're in the process of being redeemed by Jesus, we can be some difficult creatures. We can be selfish, prideful, arrogant mean, rude. And here is Simon getting thrust into the middle of of this with Jesus. I think he would ask, hey, wait a minute, what about my plans? I was just running to Walmart and suddenly I end up in this mess. What about what I wanted for my life? What about what I was, what I want for my kids? It's not how I would plan my life. I bet my next week's paycheck, that this is not what Simon thought the day would be like when he headed out that morning. See, for a lot of us, I think it's this point in our life where we take the pen from God. The Bible says of your life that before you were ever born, God wrote the days of your life. And see, I think a lot of us, if we're honest, would say, yeah, God didn't write this part of my life. I took the pen from God and thought I knew better. And I ran from him or I made this decision or I did this stuff. And, and we like to blame it on God. But if you're honest, you know God didn't, didn't write that part of your story. That g- Part of what I think Simon was going to have to learn is, I don't understand this, God, but I'm, I'm going to give the pen back to you. Because I want to erase this part of my life. I don't want to ignore this part of my life. But it, it's not what happened to Simon. He had to continue. The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen nine that we make our plans, but the Lord ultimately says, hey, no, you need to go this way. Now, let me tell you this. It doesn't mean you actually have to follow it. I think the Lord says, hey, this is where I need you to go. But you have every right to go the other way. You have every freedom to go the other way. Simon, in this case, I don't, he didn't have that choice. And this next one probably fits us a lot. I can tell you it fits me. Because I think everybody in the room at some point in their lives, and even maybe now, there's an element of pride. Anybody? Like I, I, and I think Simon was saying, hey, I can't let people see me like this. I can't let people see me with this, with this murderer, this heretic. Because the Bible says as they walked from the place where they tried Jesus and beat him up to Golgotha, that they were calling him a murderer. They were spitting on him. They were smacking him. The Roman soldiers continued to beat him. And I think Simon would have to say, I can't do this. See, me hanging out with him makes me, makes I look guilty. It makes me look guilty and I'm just standing with the guy. I can't let people see me like this. See, what will people think when they see me with him? For us today, it's, I can't let people think I got an issue. I'm not asking you to raise your... Well, I will ask you to raise your hand. How many people would say, hey, I got an issue that nobody knows about? And the ones who don't raise your hand, you shouldn't raise your hand because we all got issues. And we got issues that nobody else knows about. Questions in our mind, things we've done, places we've been. And Simon's saying, listen, I can't let people see me guilty. I know we all have it because we all put on the church face. We all come into church this morning. If you've got kids, you've experienced it, you pull out of the pull out of your driveway, you leave the house, and the kids are screaming, you're swatting at them. Shut up, shut up, be quiet, shut up, shut up. You and your spouse are arguing and and threatening each other, and then you pull up into the church, and what happens? Well, praise Jesus. (laughs) Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you today? You look so great today. I love that dress. Oh, how are your kids? My kids are wonderful. They're little angels. You just told them they were the spawn of Satan 10 minutes ago. See, what we don't do and what Simon's like, I, Simon's thinking, I can't have them thinking, what's going to happen when this gets back to Scrabbin and they hear that I was under this mess, that they associated me with these people? What's going to happen when it gets back to, to Believer's Church that, that I want to go visit, but they know I was, I was tagged in this, in this craziness? Or see the situation that that Simon had found himself in just coming to town. And now he was the center of attention. And I I don't believe this is an exaggeration. In the world at the time, I think it would be no different than today, about, say, 6 o'clock. If you happen to be in Augusta, and you happen to just step out in the middle of the 18th green. And break it down and do a dance. How many of you believe you're going to be the center of attention? You might receive a taser. You might get tackled. Somebody's going to come pay you some attention. But you're the center of attention. That's essentially what happened to Simon. He was a man in the crowd. Just I'm just here to watch this. Or maybe the Bible actually said he was just passing through. And now he's a center of attention. And he was literally carrying, get this, This is important. He was literally carrying the guilt of the world. The symbol of guilt. Why? Because no man was allowed to be near the cross, go on the cross, unless you were convicted and confirmed what? Guilty. What was Jesus convicted of? Ultimately, us. My mess. Your mess. The Bible says the weight of of the world's sin was placed on his shoulders. Look what John 16, 13 says says, This is Jesus talking. He says, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. When I know it may seem like the attention's on you, I know it may seem like there's no way out. I know it probably seems like you didn't deserve this, and you may not have. In some cases, you may have made the mess yourself, and you're just walking through the mess you made. But look what Jesus says. He says, but take heart, because I have what? I have overcome the world that I know it seems awful now, I know it seems terrible now, but there is an end. There is light at the end of the tunnel. The Bible actually says of our time here on the earth, compared to eternity with Jesus, that it's but a vapor. That your 60, 70, 80, 100 years, however long you live, in the grand scheme of thing, is just a vapor. It's here, it's gone. And Jesus says, I've overcome that. Again, from, from what I can gather, just studying the map, it's about a half a mile from point A to point B. And the Bible tells us, if you read through the New Testament, and a lot of times with people who were close to Jesus and people who he just met, Jesus would respond to what they were thinking before they ever said anything. When they doubted Jesus, Jesus said, well, why do you have such little faith? he would essentially tell them what they were thinking with his answer before they ever asked a question. And I think Simon was asking those questions. And I think Jesus heard them. I think he was saying, what did I do to deserve this? What about my plans? Hey, I know you got this mission, Jesus, but you're, you're ruining my life. What about me? What about the mess I'm in for us? Jesus, you say you can help us, but I don't see any different. Can you really help me get out of this mess? Can you forgive the weight? Can you pay the bill that I could never pay? The Bible doesn't tell us this, and I'm going to be straight with you that, but I really think that Jesus was close enough to Simon that at some point, Simon asking why, Jesus would have leaned over and said, I'm taking what you deserve. All this... It's what you deserve. Even the criminals. The Bible tells us once Jesus gets there and is put on the cross, and there's two criminals on either side of Jesus. In Luke 23, one of the criminals says, hey, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And I think at some point, Jesus had to lean over to Simon and go, hey, I've I'd, I'd taken everything that you deserve. I'm paying the bill. What I'm about to do is going to pay a bill that nobody else can pay. Simon says, well, what about my plans? This is not how I planned my life. I think Jesus would have responded back to him. Hey, my plan is hope. You don't understand it now, and they didn't. We have the privilege now of looking back. But Jesus would have said, my plan is hope. Even one of the darkest moments of your life. And my plan is you have life. Look what the Bible says I love. This is out of the message version. This is one of the prophets, Jeremiah, in the Old Testament. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you're interested, I can find you all the references. But over and over and over, it talks about Jesus. In a lot of cases, very specific things about Jesus coming. This is out of the message paraphrase, and I love how he reads this. This is Jeremiah talking about God showing up that I'll show up and I'm going to take care of you, just like I promised. I'm going to bring you back home that God says, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what's going on. I know you think I don't, but I very much understand what's going on. That it all, I've got it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you what? The future you hope for. Did it say that what you hoped for was wrong? I don't want anybody in here to to hear that that's what I'm telling you, that you may have this one hope and God's telling you, nope, that's wrong. The Bible says He he will give us the desires of our hearts. But He said, hey, you're missing this. This is not about your plan. This is about my plan for you. That you can have life. Look what the Bible says in John 10.10 that I can come and they may have life and have it what? Abundant life. That's big life. That's more than you need, more than you ask for kind of life. But does He give it to you just so you can say, hey, look what God's done for me. Look how big my life is. Look how big my house is, my car is. Look how big my bank account is. No. He gives it to you so that you can offer that same hope to somebody else. You see, confusion had to be setting into Simon's life, Or he got to a place where there was, there was just no hope. I mean, I am not by any means in shape, but if you, if you go and look at what the cross actually was and how big it was, it wasn't like the ones you see people carrying around today that have a, that have a little wheel on the end of it. You know, they walk miles, and it's great that people do that, and they, they, they walk with a cross for Jesus, but they got a little wheel on the end of it. Imagine trying to drag this big thing for a half a mile or better. Not to mention Jesus is bleeding profusely. But at some point, he had to ask a question. I think all of us, if you haven't asked it yet of God, you will. Because we all have that come to this place where it's Jesus or nothing. Right? But we, I think Simon had to ask this question. That my life is now a mess. He makes the statement, and he says, God, is there any hope? Like, how am I going to get out of this? When I get to the top of this hill with this cross, they never told him what was going to happen. For all he knew, they grabbed him out. They could have just killed him right then and there and been done with him. See, I think a lot of us have this same issue in our lives. We get to ask, God, my life's a mess, and we state it to God like he's surprised. Like God's like, oh, that's what this is. I'm confused. See, that's not God. He's like, I know. I was just waiting on you, waiting on you to do what? Remember James? If you take a step close to him, he does what? The Bible says he comes close to you. There are some of us who, who in the appearance, again, you've perfected. And this may be somebody in the room, or maybe you're watching online, or maybe even the people you're thinking about bringing next week. You've perfected the church face. And the work face. But you and I both know that you're making this same statement. My life's a mess. Yeah, my bills are paid. I got a nice car. Got a great marriage. Kids are good. But I just don't have any hope. I don't know, you know, why am I here? And we're asking this question, is there, is there any hope? You see, I think... Jesus knew this, and again, he's he's reading Simon's mind. See, I think right before they took it off his shoulders, when they brought him face to face again to take it off of Simon, put it back onto Jesus, lay the cross on the ground, and then that's when the Bible says he begins to put the spikes in his hands and his feet. I think Jesus would have said this. Which would have blown Simon's mind because nobody would understand it to say, Hey, just follow me. You want me to do what? Again, he's thinking about this earthly thing. He's not understanding that what Jesus is about to do is about to give him the freedom to just simply follow God and not have to follow all these rules and be condemned under the law and feel the guilt and the shame and the aggravation of what does my life mean? How do I get out of this? He just had to follow him. And I want you to notice something. We're going to, in Luke 23, this is Luke's version of Simon's story. I want you to notice this. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it. And say this with me, behind Jesus. See, all he had to do was, even in that crazy mess, all he had to do was to keep his eye on Jesus and just I just gotta follow this guy. I've just gotta follow him. I need I just have to stay close. Because what Jesus was about to do was beyond what they were thinking there. I was reading this week of another pastor talking about Palm Sunday. And he made this profound statement that I'd never thought about before. He said, When Jesus came into Jerusalem, they cheered him and waved palms at him because he wow. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> oh, it's good you can laugh in church. I know that was fun. Okay, here we go. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, they waved palms and cheered him. Why? because they thought he was going to do what they wanted him to do, which was build an earthly kingdom. But when he began to do what we really needed him to do, they turned their backs on him, crucified, and called him a criminal. We didn't need him to set up an earthly kingdom. We needed him to pay the price for my life that I can't pay. We needed him to do something that only he could do. And in that moment, they didn't understand that. In a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and do communion together. Ushers, you guys can, can do your thing. But look what the Bible says in Luke 23. It says, and they led Jesus away, and a man who a man who was Simon happened to be coming. The soldiers seized him, put them on the cross, and they made him follow. Behind Jesus, Okay, we got that. Now, back up before Jesus ever gets to Jerusalem. This is the story of communion. And I'm going to read this to you again. It says, after supper, he gave them another glass of wine because they would have actually had three cups. And I can explain that to you later. Of God's agreement to save you. This is how Jesus is telling them, this is what I'm going to do. They don't get it. And then he says this, an agreement sealed with the blood I shall pour out to do what? Purchase back your souls. To pay a bill that you can't pay, that there's nobody in the room, I don't care how good you are, how much you've messed up, how many bad decisions you've made, how many relationships you've messed up, how many things you've stolen, how many things you've smoked, drunk, snort, shot up, whatever it is, the Bible says of Jesus, you have a bill to pay that only he could pay. That was the very reason Simon had to go to Jerusalem is to celebrate Passover. Everybody had to go once a year to atone for your sin and then you had to make that because if you weren't the Bible, considered you, in their terms, not saved. Jesus paid that bill. Jesus paid that for us. He purchased back our souls. He made a way when there was no other way. Bible says that there's only one way by which this bill can be paid and it's the person the man that we celebrate our God Jesus that we celebrate this week. He paid the bill that only he could pay. The perfect man and I couldn't think of a better time in our holy week in our lead up to Easter for us to celebrate communion together. And we're going to do that in just a second, but before we do, I just want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because I'm sure there's some of us who this morning would say, I've either, Clint, I'm back in church now and I've turned my back on, I've kind of walked away from God, some consciously and sometimes unconsciously. Or you would say, Clint, I don't know this Jesus and I've never given him my life, but I just, I feel it in me, I need to start today. And if that's you this morning, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you front. All I'm gonna ask you to do is, hey, fill out the little card in front of you, scan the QR code and we're gonna send you some next steps. But if that's you, I just wanna pray with you this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. But if that's you this morning, I want you to, to raise your hand and just wave at me so I can pray with you. Is there anybody else? I just need to get it right today. All right, then let's pray this. Everybody pray this with them, both here in the room and online. Say, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Lord Jesus, Jesus. today I receive you you. as my Savior, my My friend. friend. Thank you, God, God, for the grace grace. and mercy mercy. over my life. Forgive me, God, God, for not getting it right. But today... I choose to just follow you. Thank you God for hope and life in Jesus name.